Hi there, I'm Daniel. I'm a sleep physician and host of the Sleep Coach School podcast, and I am extremely excited to have been given this opportunity to talk to you about how to get from a place where you're really struggling with sleep to a place where you are immune to insomnia, where you sleep well for the rest of your life and never have any trouble with sleep again. I'm super, super grateful for uh, this opportunity. I want to thank Podbean for uh, allowing me to contribute with this episode to the, the podcast Wellness Week. Uh, so before we get started, uh, what should you expect from this episode? Well, we're going to talk about some real practical things. We're going to talk about how sleep hygiene is actually a trap that keeps you from getting better. We're going to talk about what you should and should not do before you go to bed and what you should do when you are awake at night. And you may be very surprised to hear what I'm about to say there. But to, to really benefit the most, you know, you have to understand why you should do this or why you shouldn't do that. So we're going to spend quite a bit of time on uh, really talking about what insomnia is so that all those actions or inactions that I think will really help help you will make sense and, and get, get you those results that you want. Now, uh, before we get started, just a few words on, you know, where does all this come from, all the teaching that I'm about to share with you, where does it, where does it come from? Well, I'm a sleep physician, so I, uh, uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, I interact with many, many people that have trouble sleeping. I host this podcast, I coach as well. And whenever somebody tells me that they've started to sleep really well after having struggled a lot, I make a point of asking, okay, what do you think was the most helpful to you? And virtually always, uh, I hear the same thing. It's a, a version of, I don't care that much anymore. I don't care as much about my sleep. Uh, you know, sometimes it's in those very words. Sometimes it's uh, somebody saying, I, I just don't worry as much. But very often it's literally somebody saying, I just don't care that much about my sleep. And now when you are in that position where you're, you're struggling with your sleep, that sounds kind of odd or um, doesn't sound 100% accurate or true. And uh, I, I, I made the same reflection myself. It, it, it's not that um, somebody doesn't care anymore. It's actually not that. Even this person that now is sleeping really well and says, I just don't care anymore, they still want to sleep well. Every single human being wants to sleep well, but that person who, who has gone from having had a lot of trouble sleeping to sleeping well is just not attached to sleep anymore. They are less attached to the outcome of every single night, meaning they've gone from a place where um, having a sleepless night was very, very undesirable to a place where if they sleep well or don't sleep very much, both are acceptable to them. They have become less attached to the outcome and when I realized that this was really, this should really be the goal for everyone because that truly leads you to sleeping well forever, I, I decided to name the philosophy that we use in the Sleep Coach School, NADL, not attached to the outcome. Not to be confused with the Japanese delicacy, natto, which is a fermented type of soybean. <laughs> That's not what we talk about when we say natto here, but again, it is natto non-attachment to the outcome. As part of this philosophy, 
you know, there are many models, many concepts of which we will, we will really go over the key ones here. So, uh, to get, you know, to get to that place where you're immune to insomnia from a place where you're struggling a lot, we have a lot to cover. So buckle up, uh, be ready to learn a lot, grab a pen perhaps, and I believe that you will, after this episode, you'll have a completely different and new understanding of insomnia than you had before. So be before we start with the first step, which is the Oz stage, and then we work ourselves, uh, you know, through the eight steps to the last step, which is immunity, just a, just a few words on, you know, insomnia. What does that really mean? Well, th there's a lot of mystification, and we'll do a lot of demystification in this episode, but Insomnia really just means struggling, struggling with sleep. When someone, um, you know, has a hard time falling asleep or staying asleep, waking up a lot, wondering what's going on, researching it, trying various things to sleep better and feels really tired, that is insomnia. You don't need any type of testing or fancy examination tools to, to figure out that somebody's insomnia. It's a subjective thing. It's when you're struggling with sleep you have insomnia. So just wanted to clear that one right off the bat. So with that said, let us start with stage number zero, which is, uh, which may be where you're at. You're probably either in, in step zero or, or, or step one or stage zero or stage one at this point. And zero is Oz and one is reverse rabbit hole. But let's start from the beginning again. So what do I mean by Oz? What is that? What type of stage is that? Well, here's the thing. Oz, as we are familiar with from, you know, Alice in Wonderland, is, is a place where things are very, very strange and bizarre and it is very hard to understand what's going on, you know. And, and this is the stage where a lot of people are, you know, when they start their journey towards sleeping better. Oz is a state where you are completely bewildered. You have no clue what's going on. You're puzzled. Strange things seem to just be happening to you. And these are things like, um, you know, you go to bed, you don't feel particularly anxious perhaps, but it still takes you hours before you fall asleep. And you may be uh, feeling pretty okay during the day despite sleeping very little. And, and you just, you have no clue what's going on. You don't understand why this is happening to you. And you may have been doing a lot of experimentation. You may have tried this, that didn't help, or that seemed to help, etc. Now, uh, when you are in this Oz stage, you're like, you're in the, you know, that's, that's stage zero. Uh, that is, you're, you're the furthest away from immunity insomnia. And we'll talk about why in a second. But don't let, don't be discouraged. You're here, you're listening. And if you recognize yourself, if you're like, yeah, I'm in that Oz stage. I have no clue what's going on. I'm very puzzled and bewildered. Well, you know, I'm glad you're here because you're going to take the first step very, very soon. But the reason the Oz stage is, you know, the furthest away from, in, from immunity is that, again, you have no clue. You don't have any foundation and anything you do will be sort of an experiment. You're like, let's see if this helps, let's see if that helps, let's see if this helps, etc. And, and, and whether it, it seems to make you sleep more or less, it doesn't lead you towards understanding what's happening. So, you know, you, you, it's easy to get stuck in this Oz stage for a long time because you don't have any proper guidance, etc. So let's say you are in this Oz day, you recognize yourself, then, then what should you do? Well, the education is really, really the key here. So what we're going to do now is go over the perceived threat model, which, which is going to really clarify to you what insomnia is 
and while you have it, and it's going to take you to the first uh, to the first stage. You know, it's going to take you from stage zero to stage one. All right. So to go over this uh, perceived threat model, which is super important, we will start by just talking generally about how the mind works, how the human mind works. It's important to know that the human brain is a survival machine. So is our bodies, by the way. You know, the reason you have feet is so that you can walk. You know, you can go do stuff. You can run away from something. The reason you have a nose is to smell things, etc. All, all of that is for survival. Well, the, well the, the brain is just the same. All the function of the brain are there for survival purposes. It is a survival machine. If you think about the you know core emotions we have, happiness, sadness, fear, disgust, anger, they're there for survival. It, it may not seem like our emotions are there for any particular practical purpose, but they are. They're not there just to annoy us or to uh, entertain us. They have very practical purposes. Um, happiness is, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a rewarding emotion that, um, you know, we get when we do something that is uh, uh, keeping us surviving in like a, you know, in a positive direction. We, we, we meet a bunch of people and we, we interact with them, we socialize with them, we, find, we, we, we create a social network that keeps us surviving if there is any, any problems or threats. You know, happiness leads us in that direction. Uh, anger is there to make sure we defend ourselves. Sadness is make sure we play dead when there's overwhelming odds, and that's also a way to increase our odds of survival, etc. So all our emotions are there for, for uh, survival purposes. Now, when we are faced with a real tangible physical threat, then that's where our brains are, they're in a zone. That is the perfect, perfect spot for the, for the brain to be at. So when you are being charged at by this grizzly bear, that is, you know, that's what your brain was made for, designed for. So when the, when the grizzly bear is coming at you, you feel what emotion? You feel fear, of course. And fear takes you into, you know, to, it takes you to fight or flight, you know. And either you scare away the grizzly bear or you hide from it. In both those scenarios, the outcome is perfect. You survive. That is exactly what you want to do. Now, here is the thing. In 2020, there are much less tangible physical threats uh, out there. There are a few of them, in fact, but the brain is still the same. The brain is still a survival machine. And here's the thing. The brain can easily get a little bit confused. And what happens with insomnia is the following, that either it seems to have started out of the blue, you don't know where it came from, or there was a period of intense stress uh, where it started. But during that, you know, when your insomnia started, it happened because your brain identified wakefulness at night as a threat, okay? The brain identified wakefulness at night as a threat, and mostly how people experience that is that you have a series of nights where you sleep very little, and then at, you know, at some point you think, something's wrong with me. I have insomnia, I can't sleep. What has happened there is that your brain has had identified being awake at night as a threat, as something that is you know, coming at you, something that can harm you, something that you have to get away from. And what does the brain do when it's fearful like that? Well, it goes again into fight or flight, which is perfect when you have a tangible threat, but it does not work 
when there is a perceived threat. Wakefulness at night is a perceived threat. But to the brain, a threat is a threat. It always does the same thing when it feels threatened. It deploys fight or flight. But when it does this for a perceived threat, it doesn't work. Because guess what? You cannot defeat wakefulness. You cannot hide from wakefulness. You cannot run away from it. So when you, when you do things like um, you go to bed at the same time, or you take some melatonin, or you install you know, blackout curtains, or you adhere to sleep hygiene, or you try some supplements or medications, or things of that nature, then you are trying to escape or, or defeat. You're trying to defeat or escape a perceived threat. When none of that actually works, you know, it may seem like it helped for a little bit, but you, you know, you still have trouble sleeping, you still have insomnia. Well, guess what? Then the brain goes, whoa, this was a bigger threat than I thought. I have to deploy even more fight or flight. And you try even more of those, you know, those actions, but the threat doesn't go away. And then the brain thinks this is an even bigger threat than I thought. And now, you know, now you have insomnia, you know. So now you understand that insomnia comes from a place where your brain, which is, which is a survival machine, became a little bit confused and started to look at being awake at night as a threat. And the attempts at trying to escape that perceived threat is the reason you continue to have trouble sleeping. Now, when you, when you digest this and think about it and you apply it and contextualize it and you see that Yep, this makes sense. I recognize this. Guess what? You have now taken the first step. Congratulations. You are no longer in awe. This is amazing. You're no longer bewildered or puzzled. Things are starting to make sense. You're starting to see why I have trouble sleeping. And you have reached the first stage, which is the reverse rabbit hole stage. You are no longer in awe. So you're on your way to Kansas. You're not, not yet in Kansas because of the following. You now understand the reason why you have trouble sleeping, but you still think that your insomnia is different than that of other people. Because maybe you have no trouble falling asleep, only staying asleep. Or maybe you have only trouble staying asleep or falling asleep. Or maybe you don't feel tired during the day. You feel very, very awake. Or maybe you have these things happening to you like you you have jerks when you fall asleep or you suddenly become aware of falling asleep for some reason or other you think that your insomnia is different maybe it has to do with the circumstances around it maybe you're, you're pregnant maybe you have gone through menopause maybe you have a, 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 a physical condition um, maybe it started when you come off medications you think that you understand that okay um my, uh, I understand why I have trouble sleeping, but I think my insomnia is different than, than, than uh, that of others. So uh, why is this problematic? Well, it is problematic because when you think your insomnia is different than that of others, you will gravitate towards like, um, you know, looking for an unusual or strange or, uh, you know, uh, an uncommon remedy that will get you towards the place of, of sleeping better. But when you when you understand that it is similar to that of others, you see that what has helped others, which is exactly what we're talking about here, will work for you too. So that's the challenge with the reverse, uh, the reverse rabbit hole stage that you are in when you have reached this first stage. So what should, what should you do if you think that, okay, I get it. Um, I, I see that why I have trouble sleeping. It is this perceived threat that my brain has uh, constructed. 
but I think my insomnia is different than that of others. So here is where you deploy detective work. You put on that detective hat, you become a private investigator, and you specifically look for things that will lead you forward and towards Kansas, towards stage two. You're now on stage one, you wanna to get to stage two. So what are you looking for? Well, you are now out there looking for clues that your insomnia is actually just the same as that of others. Uh, a great way to do this is uh, to check uh, all the content here on the Sleep for School podcast, uh, particularly success stories or other episodes where we talk to someone that has trouble sleeping, and you will, you will find all the thought patterns, ideas, behaviors that you have engaged in, in others, other people's stories. You will find them. And, and the more you actively, you know, the more you actively, deliberately try to find that your insomnia is, is similar to others, the, the sooner you'll find them and the sooner you will reach stage two, which is Kansas. You are now in Kansas. If you've reached Kansas, then that is amazing. That is another very, very big step. You're not in Oz. You're not in the kind of reversing the rabbit hole. You've reached Kansas. In Kansas, you understand that you have the same plain, ordinary, unremarkable insomnia that everybody else has. Uh, you are special. You are a unique and special human being and circumstances uh, in, in your life are, of course, unique, but the insomnia itself is not. It's the same plane alone. And this is so important because it's been completely demystified now and it seems much, much easier to get past. Now, what, uh, what you don't understand quite yet, however, is uh, what, what is kind of, how sleep is, uh, is regulated and, how, and what specifically is keeping your trouble sleeping going. You know, you understand that there was this perceived threat that happened in the past. There was anxiety there, but you, you wondered like, so why is it, why does it keep going? And this is where you need to study the trouble and desire model to fully understand what is maintaining your trouble sleeping. And this is a, a very simple model. It really just has two parts, the trouble and the desire. So if we look back again upon the time where you started having trouble sleeping, if you can remember it, if not, it doesn't matter. You can just look at what's happening now. But let's, uh, for, for the example, for, for the purpose of this example, say that there was a time of uh, intense stress uh, and that led you to have trouble sleeping. Well, uh, it's, it's quite easy to see that the, the, that in itself is, is, is not surprising, right? If somebody said, I lost my job today, and then uh, I went home and I slept fantastic, you would intuitively say, hmm, that doesn't really sound true. Uh, it, it sounds more true that if you, if you went through something really stressful, you would have trouble sleeping. That seems natural and expected. And it is, of course, when we're stressed, we sleep less. Nothing strange about that. So uh, some stressful circumstance can cause trouble sleeping. Now, if, if somebody doesn't really react much to that, they have trouble sleeping, but they say, yeah, that's just because I had that stressful event, I lost my job, and then they eventually find a new job and then they start sleeping better. Well, then what the reason they, they go back to sleeping better is that they didn't react uh, to the trouble that the, the stress caused, right? But what can happen is 
that the trouble, the trouble sleeping can trigger a desire for sleep. And when I say desire, I don't mean uh, wanting to sleep well. Again, everybody wants that. But when I use the desire with the capital D, it is that craving, wanting, that urge to sleep, the negotiating for sleep, the thinking about it. The desire is sort of like, you know, you have a love interest that is not paying any attention to you and you just want them to, to look at you, to come your way, to, to engage with you, you know? And that is the desire for sleep, which is, again, very different from just wanting to sleep. Everybody wants to sleep. But when you have trouble sleeping, when it seems like sleep is escaping you, it's becoming slippery and elusive, that can trigger that desire for sleep. You want it so badly. And guess what? Sleep is a passive process. If you ask anyone that sleeps really, really well what they do to sleep, they will tell you the secret. They will say, um, I think, I don't, really, I don't know. That is the key. When, when you're sleepy at night and you're not thinking about sleep, not doing anything to sleep, sleep easily comes your way. You may have, you may have experienced this. Uh, you may find that at 9 p.m. or 10 p.m. when you're not doing anything engaging, you're watching some TV or something like that, you fall asleep easily. But then later at night, you can't sleep. That's just one example of how when we're not trying or wanting to sleep, when there's no desire for sleep, it comes easy. But then when you desire sleep, becomes really tricky because again sleep is a passive process so going back to our trouble and desire model now you know in the example we had some stress caused trouble and now this trouble caused a desire for sleeping guess what now the desire for sleep is causing more trouble sleeping and the trouble sleeping is causing a stronger desire and the desire is causing more trouble sleeping etc 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 and now you see why you have this ongoing trouble sleep where you're in this you know in this, in, in this struggle this fight this battle and now when you're in this model when you understand this model you're like okay i get it i have trouble sleeping it's feeding my desire and that gives me more trouble sleeping i i, I get it but you know how how do i get how do how do i get out of this well here's the thing it seems like if you could just sleep better get rid of the trouble then the desire would go away. Uh, but that's the thing. It is the desire to sleep better that is driving the whole thing. So you have to, as hard as it sounds, you have to reduce your desire for sleep. You have to want it less to sleep better. Sounds really, really difficult. But when you just take the little steps, little steps, trying a little bit less, then you start having less trouble and then you can reduce the desire even more and then you can really, really start making progress. So now, when you understand that it is your desire that is the driver here, guess what? You have taken another big, big step. You are now in the chasing arrows stage where you, know, you see this chasing of the desire and the trouble. That is it. That is why you have so much trouble sleeping and you, you have taken uh, a big step. You're now in stage three. Now, uh, you, you've made a lot of progress, but what you don't fully understand at this point is like how sleep is regulated and what makes you sleep and what doesn't make you sleep. You, you understand that that desire is a real problem, but you're wondering about things like 
How about, you know, the temperature in my room? How about medications and supplements? You know, how about soothing sounds and anxiety? And how do things like that, you know, what are their roles? You know, uh, what should I do in terms of all those things? How about sleep hygiene? All right, so what you need to do now is study sleep physiology. You need to understand what we call the gas and brake model. It's a very, very simple model, but super effective um, that explains to you how sleep is regulated. So at this point, imagine a car. Um, imagine a car uh, that of course has two, you know, it has two pedals. It has a gas pedal and a brake pedal. And the gas, you know, pushing down the gas pedal, that is what makes the, the gas, uh, the car go forward and the brake uh, pedal is what makes it stop. Well, guess what? Our sleep system, just like a car, or the, just like this imaginary car at least, has a gas pedal and a brake pedal. So you may wonder, what is it that makes us sleep? What is that gas? What is the gas pedal all about? Well, here's the thing, super important here. There is only one thing in the universe that can make a human being sleep. And that is sleep drive. That is the body's, you know, the body's own need for sleep. And the only thing that can increase that sleep drive or create that sleep drive or that sleepiness is guess what? Wakefulness. The only thing that can truly make you hungry is not eating. The only thing that can truly make you sleepy is not sleeping, which is wakefulness. So wakefulness is the only thing that can produce a strong sleep drive and make you sleep. And that sleep drive again, that sleepiness, that is the gas in our sleep system. That is the thing that makes you sleep. But guess what? There is a break in the sleep system as well. And that's for safety reasons. Uh, even if you're sleepy, you don't want to sleep if the fire alarm is going off or uh, if you just realized that you forgot to pick your friend up in the airport or something like that. Then you want that break uh, to kick in so that you, you, you wake up and that keeps you safe or keeps you doing the things you're supposed to do. So there's a break in your sleep system. And what is that break? Well, that break is what we call hyperarousal. Hyperarousal is any type of heightened uh, a heightened level of uh, alertness. And that hyperarousal can come from things like puzzlement and bewilderment. It can come from anxiety, stress, worry, preoccupation. It can come from excitement as well. Like, uh, you know, a kid, uh, the, the night before Christmas, they can't sleep because they're so excited that that break is, that break is going, right? So now we understand that the only thing that makes us sleep is, um, is our, the gas, you know, sleepiness or sleep drive. And then we have a break, which is hyperarousal. Well, then we can see that there are these like four scenarios that, that we can be in at any given stage. And one is where you have neither, you know, you're not sleepy and you're not hyperaroused. You, you have neither gas nor break. And if you would go to bed uh, in this, in this you know, state, then you would be resting you would be having a nice rest. You know, you wouldn't be sleepy, so you wouldn't fall asleep, but it wouldn't be uncomfortable. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be unpleasant because you're not hyper aroused. You, you feel pretty good. You would just be resting. Now, 
if you went to bed and you had no gaps, but a lot of break, that's when you're not sleepy and you're hyper aroused. And that hyper arousal typically comes from anxiety when it comes to insomnia. That's very unpleasant because you're gonna spend a lot of time in your bed being anxious. That is very unpleasant. Now, you have a state where you have uh, both. And this is the typical insomnia state where you are to some degree sleep deprived. You're not getting as much sleep as, as you need or you would like to. And you're also hyper aroused. You're also worried. So you, you have some gas. You have gas. You are sleepy, but you're also hyper aroused. You also have a break. And this is where you have that typical insomnia thing going on. It's like that car again that moves in a very fitful way, kind of jumps forward, stops, and then goes for a little while and then and stops again. So you have both gas and brake. You, you fall asleep, but it takes a long time. And when you finally fall asleep, you jump awake again because that, that brake kicked in. And then eventually you have like a little bit more sleep, but then you, again, it's fitful. You're in and out of sleep all the time. It may even seem like you're not asleep at all. You may have like vivid dreams. It can be a, a quite unpleasant experience here. That's, that's typical for insomnia. And now uh, you have where you want to get, where is the final of these four, four, uh, you know, four um, variations uh, when it comes to the gas and brake, where you have, you have strong gas, you have a strong, nice sleep drive, and you're not hyper aroused, then you will sleep really, really, really well. Now, now that you know this, now that you understand the gas and brake model, you can see that uh, supplements or soothing sounds or um, bedtime rituals or what temperature it is in your bedroom, they don't matter. They really don't matter because none of that can make you um, more sleepy. Uh, you know, all sleepiness only comes from your own internal, you know, your body, wakefulness. And none of that makes you less uh, preoccupied with sleep or less anxious. In fact, they do the opposite. The more you try to tweak the temperature and you think about, oh, maybe I'm going to get this right, or I'm going to do this, I'm going to install these night blinds, I'm going to try this melatonin. That, none of that helps because none of that reduces your desire for sleep. None of that reduces the hyperarousal. In fact, it, it makes you more hyperaroused. Sometimes people tell me, well, you know, sometimes it works. Well, guess what? Uh, that, that comes from, you know, that comes from confidence. Sometimes you do something, you try this new herbal tea or something and you believe in it and it actually, you know, it actually does reduce the break a bit because you've kind of externalized confidence. You think this thing will make you sleep and it may seem like a good thing, but it really isn't because it's not sustained. You know, after a while, you're like a little bit skeptical again and that herbal tea, like you take it, but you still don't sleep. And now you just become more confused. So even though it seems like some things work sometimes, it's all about gas and break and experimentation doesn't help in the long run because it makes you have more and more hyperarousal in, in the big picture here. So this is why, and I just wanna stay one more second here, you know, all those things you hear about sleep hygiene, do this, do that, keep, you know, it, it's like this laundry list of things you, you're supposed to do to, to be able to sleep at least a little bit, right? That actually makes you more preoccupied. It increases your desire. So the more you go towards, oh, none of that really matters. All that matters is that I, I am sleepy and I'm not hyper aroused, then that will really, really help you because the more, the less factors you have, uh, to, to take, in, take into account, the more relieved you're going to be, the less pressured you're going to be, and the better you will sleep. So let's say you now, you've gotten, you gotten to the stage, you, 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 
you've passed Oz, you understand why you have trouble sleeping, you understand that your insomnia is not unique, you, you've gone to Kansas, you know, uh, you have in fact understood what's driving it, you've passed the chasing arrow stage, you are now in the fourth stage, easy rider, you've understood the gas and brake model and everything else, and that's amazing, because guess what? Now, now you have built your foundation. You have built your foundation. You have gone through all these first steps which are active, okay? And this is important because the, the, the remaining steps are passive. They're all about really letting go, doing less, uh, and, and, and distancing yourself from and detaching yourself from like that desire to sleep. But up until now, these have been active states. This is where you've, you've studied, you've learned, you know, you, you have worked. And, and now, now you, set the, you have a foundation. There's no puzzlement, bewilderment. You understand everything. But guess what? You may still not be sleeping much better. And this is because, you know, as, as you've seen here, um, insomnia is really driven by fear. You know, there is that anxiety, fear, fear of being awake at night that is driven, that is driving the whole thing. And it, it, becoming scared can happen quickly, but you may have had troubles uh, for a long time. So that fear may be very entrenched and becoming unscared, it doesn't happen overnight. So you, you've reached the fourth stage, you're an easy rider, you've set the foundation, but you may not necessarily be sleeping more. Okay, so you understand everything, but you're not sleeping that much more. So now, now falls a, you know, a completely different set of things you should do. And now again, it's not active anymore. It's not like learn this, study this, think about this, write this down, understand this. Now it's about letting go, letting go, trying less, you know, shifting focus, shifting attention. Another way uh, uh, to describe this is like stage uh, zero, one, two, three, four, or what I call set it. That's where you kind of set the stage, set the foundation, and the, the remaining steps, five, six, seven, and eight, or forget it there, you know, set it and forget it works really, really well when it looks at, you know, the path from Oz to immunity as well. So let's say, you know, you, you, um, you have set the foundation, then what, what should you be doing in this stage? So one thing that is really, really helpful is to reduce the effort, reduce your effort by giving yourself less opportunity. Here's something really practical. Now we're going to get really, really practical here. So let's say that you go to bed at like 10 p.m., but you don't fall asleep until midnight, and then you sleep for an hour and a half, you're up at like, you know, 1.30, and then you, uh, you finally fall asleep at 4, you're up at 5, but finally at 6, you sleep until 9. That, that's the, you know, you get your best sleep in the morning, which is so common. And now when you look at this, uh, take, take a step outside and look at this, you realize, okay, so I'm giving myself 11 an 11 hour opportunity for sleep this is a little this example is a little extreme in your case may be more like a nine hour opportunity but you're probably giving yourself an opportunity for sleep that is way more than what you're actually sleeping and by the way most human beings when objectively tested sleep about six hours six hours and 15 minutes or something like that but people who don't have trouble sleeping they overestimate they think they sleep more but anyway Going back to our example, let's say you're giving yourself a, a quite uh, generous opportunity for sleep. Well, guess what? It is very, very helpful for you 
to reduce that opportunity for sleep. When you hear that the first time, it sounds kind of crazy, like I want to sleep better and more, but how's giving myself less of an opportunity to sleep? How's that going to help me? Well, that is because, remember the trouble and desire model, it is your desire for sleep that is driving your insomnia. So a good way to reduce that desire is to give yourself less opportunity for sleep. So let's say you know you had a schedule like the one we talked about in the past, and then a good question I think is ask yourself, okay, how much sleep do I think I need? And let's say you say, you know, if I slept seven hours, um, then then I feel pretty good. If I slept seven hours consistently, I would sleep I would sleep pretty good. Well, then give yourself about a seven hour opportunity for sleep. And so you can ask yourself when you need to get up in the morning, and let's say that's uh, 6, 6 a.m., you know, I need to get up at 6 a.m., then you do that. You you set your alarm at 6 a.m., and no matter how little you slept, you still get up every morning at 6 a.m., but you don't allow sleep to happen before 11 p.m., so you have this 11 to 7, that's uh, 11 to 6, that's like your opportunity for sleep, you know, that's your sleep window opportunity, and uh, and that that really helps because, again, this is a step towards trying less. You know, this is a step towards reducing the desire. So let's say you've um, you're doing that, and you now reached a step 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 five here, which I call the cool down phase. Which is okay. I've started reducing my efforts. I'm less anxious because of everything else, but I'm not sleeping anymore. Well, the key here is that you said I'm less anxious. You know, I kind of understand everything, and I'm less anxious doesn't seem like a big, big step, but you have just taken a leap towards sleeping better. Because guess, guess what? When, when you, you're less anxious, it is just a matter of time before you get to stage six, you know, which is the reward, which is where you start sleeping more. So you're now in the cool running, uh, or the cool down phase, where you're, you're less anxious, but you're not sleeping more, and you're starting to reduce effort. Well, what else can you do now to take that next step towards sleeping better, well, here's something important. Here is here's something that I think is really important, one of the most important concepts that, that we have, um, that we have uh, created here in the Sleep Coach School, which is befriending wakefulness, befriending wakefulness. When you have trouble sleeping, your relationship with sleep changes and that with wakefulness as well. Sleep, we've seen, has become this thing you desire, you crave, you want, Wakefulness has become this foe, this kind of enemy, the, the threat, the thing you don't want, okay? And that is what's driving all the trouble sleeping you have. So how can you get to a place of better sleep? Well, you can start befriending wakefulness, befriending wakefulness, making wakefulness, whenever it happens, more acceptable to you. And when that happens, the, everything changes because then when the brain is no longer afraid of being awake at night, it sees no reason to save you from that or, or, uh, or deploy fight or flight, and it really, really helps you sleep. So real practically, how can you befriend wakefulness? Well, uh, there are two times where you can really start working on befriending wakefulness, and one is when, you know, that hour before you go to bed and, and also during the night. What a lot of people do that have trouble sleeping is that, um, you know, the hour before bedtime, is a kind of stressful period and you you turn everything down, uh, you know, you try to do some meditation maybe, you um, have some sleepy time tea, you uh, turn off the lights, you have this ritual. 
what you're doing here is actually you're trying to escape wakefulness. You're trying to escape wakefulness. You don't want to be awake, so you're doing all these things. But if you change that towards befriending wakefulness, you will see really good things come your way. And what I mean by befriending wakefulness again, well, that is instead of doing all these things you're doing to kind of escape wakefulness, watch some Netflix or some Hulu or play some piano or do something you enjoy. Make wakefulness a, an asset instead of a liability, you know, take it from being a foe to, to a friend, you know, make wakefulness your friend, do something you enjoy. And then when you feel sleepy, you allow yourself to sleep if it's within that window we talked about. But again, befriending wakefulness is super, super important. And here's the thing, you know, this part is usually fairly easy to understand. Okay, yeah, when I go to bed, I should befriend wakefulness. I should do something enjoyable. Sounds good. I can do that. I have to look forward to going to bed. That's really important. You have to look forward to going to bed. But what about when I wake up at night? Okay, that's, here we're going to get really practical again. So when you wake up at night, you know, oftentimes your first instinct is like, I want to know what time it is. That's an act of control. You want to see how much you slept and how well you did, etc. But that is... That is a big part you have trouble sleeping again because it's like the desire to control it, the desire to get it. That's why I have trouble sleeping. So the first thing you should do is resist the urge. Resist the urge to check what time it is because that just, you know, that just makes you more anxious. You start doing the sleep math, you're calculating, you, you know, it keeps you that particular night in a state of, you know, uh, anxiety. But even when you have that, you know, you know, a lot of people get relief when they're like, but sometimes, sometimes it's like 6 a.m., almost 6 a.m., and I slept the whole night, and it feels really good. Well, guess what? That's not good either, because that, that creates performance anxiety. When you slept the whole night, and you go like, yes, I did it. Uh, now, now I just have to figure out how to do it every night. Well, guess what? That maintains the desire, you know? So checking the time at night, not a good idea. So number one, when you wake up at night, resist the urge to check the time. Go timeless. It'll be really, really hard... Uh, helpful to you. It is hard because you have that desire for control. But again, when you wake up at night, resist the urge. It will truly help you. Okay, so you resist the urge. You don't know what time it is, but you're feeling pretty awake. What should you do? Well, you're often told that, you know, if you haven't fallen asleep and in 30 minutes, you should get up and don't go to bed, back to bed unless you're sleepy, etc. Well, that's not helpful because that maintains focus on time. You have to check the time and you have all this pressure to sleep. So what's much better is to, again, befriend wakefulness. You wake up, you don't check what time it is, and you decide first to maybe take a mental journey somewhere. You think about a really nice place, a great vacation you had, a great time in your life, a good year of your life, something like that. And if that comes easy for you, you're befriending wakefulness. You're making wakefulness acceptable, and you're staying in bed in the, under those cozy blankets, and you'll probably drift off again soon. And if you don't, that's also fine. As long as you're befriending wakefulness, you're doing great. If that doesn't come easy to you, if that if you feel kind of frustrated and you're in bed and you, you know, then then you can leave the bed. You can leave the bed and 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 pick a good book, listen to a great podcast, or um, watch some Netflix or something like that. And uh, again, befriend wakefulness. A lot of people uh, then go, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, I think you know I'm gonna pick this really boring book. This boring book. If that in that that thought came to your mind, then you know, we have a problem there because you're, you're, you're trying to escape wakefulness again. You're trying to trick yourself. So don't pick the boring book. Pick a book that you enjoy and befriend wakefulness. And now the classic question here that I get is, well, isn't that going to make me more awake if I do something I enjoy at night? And then I go, you haven't covered something big. You, you're onto something. 
And what you found here, what you've just shown is that you are afraid of wakefulness. You don't want to have wakefulness. You know, you, you're trying to escape it. So see, it, you know, you have to work on this and you'll, and you'll get much, much better sleep. So uh, when, you, when you deploy this, which we, we talked about reducing the, you know, reducing your opportunity for sleep, we talked about befriending wakefulness and going timeless, those three things are, are super, super helpful. And guess what? When you add that to everything you've done, all the learning you've done, and you start to become less anxious, well, guess what? Now comes stage six, which is the reward, which is when you're starting to see good sleep come your way. And when it does, you know, there's no question why. It is thanks to all the work you did, first learning about sleep, and it is thanks to the fact that that led you to become less anxious. So now we're in the, the second stage of the passive phase, you know, stage six now. And, you know, the fact that you're taking less, you're less proactive, you're trying less, you know, you're, you're detaching yourself from your desire to sleep, etc., has now led to the reward stage, which is stage six, where you're sleeping better. And you can see we're close to, we're getting close to immunity here, but there's still one, one potential hiccup here that you may notice, which is, okay, I'm sleeping better, I still feel tired though. A lot of people notice that, that they're starting to sleep better, but they're still tired, even more tired actually. And um, the reason that happens is, you know, imagine somebody that's like in a basketball game, it's a really intense game of basketball, and you ask them, so how do you feel right now? And that person would be like, yeah, I feel great, I wanna play, I wanna play, I feel great. That, you know, when you're in this game, let's say, your adrenaline is flowing, you know, your heart rate is up. You, you don't really feel how tired you are because all those hormones and all the, you know, the fight, the, the kind of like this um, intense game you're in, it's kind of masking the fatigue. So what often happens with insomnia is that the same thing. When you're in the struggle, you don't fully, you feel often very, very tired, but not fully. You're still, that fatigue is still masked by the hyperarousal. When you're starting to sleep better, that's because that hyperarousal came down, you're less anxious. Well, and oftentimes that unmasks the true, you know, fatigue you, you have and you start feeling tired. And a lot of people go like, this is so strange. I'm, I'm sleeping more, but I feel more tired. And that can trip you up because then you can, you can again start going towards like, what's wrong with me? You know, I, my insomnia is unique, etc. It's not. This is very, very typical. And it's for the reason we just discussed. And then, you know, if you just kind of keep going, keep going exactly what you did, you are befriending wakefulness, you're giving yourself a less opportunity for sleep, you're going timeless, guess what? You will reach stage seven, which I call post-game, which is like you, you, you're so uh, far away from the game, you know, from the struggle, from the fight, that you're not only sleeping well, but you feel refreshed, you feel really good. And now, you know, after a while, you know, when, when you've fully, fully digested and understood everything, you completely understand that it was your unwillingness to be awake at night, your desire to escape wakefulness, that was the reason you had so much trouble sleeping. When that is fully, fully, that's completely clear to you, and you are going in a direction of like, I'm never gonna resist that again. I'm never gonna be unwilling to have insomnia again. I'm, not, I'm never gonna think of being awake as a threat. Guess what? You have now reached the final stage, which is immunity. You are immune to ever having trouble sleeping again in your whole entire life. Well, does that mean that you're going to sleep fantastic every single night? Of course not. Everybody has a night where they sleep very little. You, you may have nights that are completely sleepless, but you are never, ever going to go back to a place where you are completely bewildered and puzzled and 
if you don't understand anything and you experiment with this and that and you try to make sleep happen, you will never ever go down the rabbit hole again and you will never struggle with sleep again because you have reached this stage of immunity. You are immune to insomnia for life. With that said, I, I really, really hope this made sense to you. I know I presented you with a lot of information and I, you may need to you know, go back and listen again. Um, but I hope you enjoyed this roadmap from Oz to Immunity by the Sleep Coach School and you enjoyed our NATO teaching here. You enjoyed non-attachment to the outcome, the, the philosophy that we use in our school and this roadmap as well. So with that said, um, if you have any questions, uh, please uh, do not hesitate to send one questions at thesleepcoachschool.com. Uh, my name is Daniel Erickson, E-R-I-C-H-S-E-N. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, YouTube, of course, and, and of course uh, on the podcast here as well. And uh, with that said, uh, again, I hope this brought a lot of value to you and thank you so, so much for tuning in. Bye-bye now.